1: Facebook takes down Myanmar Junta's main page, APT 31 clones equation group tools, Silver Sparrows up to something. Bogus Flash Player update serves fake news and malware. The effects of supply chain compromises spread. Clubhouse has some privacy issues. A VC firm has been breached. CrowdStrike releases its annual threat report. We welcome Josh Ray from Accenture Security to our show. Rick Howard examines Google's cloud services. And a Maryland school continues its annual cyber challenge. From the Cyberwire Studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your Cyberwire summary for Monday, February 22nd, 2021. Facebook yesterday took down the main page belonging to Myanmar's military, according to Reuters. The social network explained its decision in terms of its policy against incitement of violence. Quote, in line with our global policies, we've removed the Tatmadu True News Information Team page from Facebook for repeated violations of our community standards prohibiting incitement of violence and coordinating harm. Quote. Checkpoint reports that a Chinese threat group, APT 31, cloned a leaked U.S. Equation Group tool and has now used it for several years. APT-31 is also known as Zirconium in Microsoft's Metallic Taxonomy of Threat Actors, or as Judgment Panda to other scorekeepers. This isn't the first time a Chinese threat actor has used what appears to be NSA tools. They had found their way earlier into Beijing's cyber arsenal, and apparently at some point before the shadow brokers committed their big equation group leak to the internet. Silver Sparrow, described last week by researchers at Red Canary investing devices with Apple's new M1 chips, as well as some using Intel processors, remains baffling. Although Malwarebytes researchers found the malware on some 30,000 endpoints, Ars Technica says Silver Sparrow has no apparent payload, The binaries don't seem to do anything, they're being called bystander binaries, and may simply be placeholders. Silver Sparrow also has a self-destruction mechanism designed to expunge traces of itself from infected systems. Whoever's operating Silver Sparrow hasn't yet used that functionality, and as computing reports, researchers are still in the dark about what might trigger self-destruction. Silver Sparrow will bear watching, especially if it proves to be a staging mechanism for further cyber campaigns. A fake Adobe Flash Player updater is in circulation, Bleeping Computer reported yesterday. It's a relatively complicated scam. Javad Malik, security awareness advocate at know Before, summarized the activity as follows, quote, Threat actors are using Google Alerts to promote a fake Adobe Flash Player updater that installs other unwanted programs on unsuspecting users' computers. The threat actors create fake stories with titles containing popular keywords that Google Search then indexes. Once indexed, Google Alerts will alert people who are following those keywords. When visiting the fake stories using a Google Redirect link, the visitor will be redirected to the threat actor's malicious site. However, if you visit the fake stories URL directly, the website will state that the page does not exist. Adobe Flash Player has reached the end of its life, but many users, habituated by years of updates, may not know this and may not recognize the bogus update for the imposture it is. The unwanted program being served is one updater, and it will, from time to time, offer other phony updates that themselves carry other unwanted programs. So here's a direct risk from fake news stories being indexed by search engines, in this case by Google. Not only do they cloud your mind with misinformation, but they also serve as the entering wedge of a malware distribution campaign. Breaches of vendors in the software supply chain continue to flow through third parties. The Accelion FTA compromise has now affected the Kroger supermarket chain and the Wall Street Journal describes the ways Excellion's troubles have afflicted its customers. State Scoop has an account of how a ransomware attack by Cuba Ransomware, a gang having the poor taste to illustrate its dump site with heroic images of political mass murderers, has affected customers of automatic funds transfer services. Many AFTS customers are U.S. state and local governments, and they've been in the process of warning individuals whose data may have been compromised. Emergent social media platform Clubhouse appears to be experiencing the sorts of security issues that accompany rapid growth, especially when the growing company has strong business links to companies in China. Bloomberg reports that the app's chats have been breached. A Guardian op-ed summarizes causes for concern. You're telling the app that you're connected with various people and they're connected with you, for example, and that's something you and your contacts may not want to share. And then there's the business of Clubhouse making unencrypted copies of the chit-chat going on in its various rooms. As the Guardian's essayist puts it, Clubhouse says it deletes these once it determines nothing untoward is going on, but still, that's not particularly reassuring, especially when your back-end services are provided by a Shanghai outfit. Nothing wrong with Shanghai, necessarily. Lots of nice, hard-working people, but still... After all, Beijing's writ runs there. Axios reports that Sequoia Capital has disclosed a data breach that may have affected some of the personal and financial data the venture capital firm holds. Sequoia says it's notified affected individuals and has so far found no signs of the data's abuse. CrowdStrike this morning published their annual Global Threat Report. They see an intensification of now-familiar trends. With supply chain attacks, ransomware, extortion, and nation state espionage all on the rise. They also see increasing sophistication on the part of cyber criminals. Remote work will continue to expand attack surfaces, and healthcare will, unfortunately, remain a priority target. They think dedicated leak sites will make it easier for criminals to carry out data extortion attacks. Looking at the state actors, CrowdStrike sees China focusing on supply chain compromises with an emphasis on industrial espionage against verticals that could yield IP useful to the goals of the 14th Five-Year Plan. And North Korea will be more motivated than ever to shore up its failed economy through direct cyber theft. And finally, it's good amid the ice storms and the data breaches to share some local good news. This past weekend, Loyola-Blakefield, just up the road from us in Baltimore County, held its fourth annual Loyola-Blakefield Cyber Challenge virtually this year, and they sent us a note this morning to give us the results. The challenge categories this year included web exploitation, cryptology, forensics, programming, and network analysis, and the 51 teams that competed came from as far away as Illinois. This is a student-run challenge, and we're happy to share the congratulations Loyola-Blakefield sent to the winners— they wrote, on behalf of LBSCI, congratulations to Audrey Wheeler from Rolling Meadows High School, Robbie Hoff and Mark Gattas from John Carroll School, Ryan Elkocha from Damascus High School, Daniel Matthew from Poolsville High School, and Jason Walter from Calvert Hall College. Special congratulations to Daniel Matthew and Ryan Elkocha and their teams for winning the beginner and advanced divisions respectfully. If you're interested in how Loyola-Blakefield put the challenge together, check out their website and drop them a line. We're sure they'll be happy to hear from you. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. And joining me once again is Rick Howard. He is the CyberWire's Chief Analyst and also our Chief Security Officer. Rick, it's always great to have you back. Thanks, Dave. Uh, This week on CSO Perspectives, you are launching a two-part series on securing the Google Cloud platform. Now, I know that we have uh, just recently done similar things for Amazon AWS and Microsoft Azure. Uh, is this, um, you know, lather, rinse,
2: repeat, or, <laughs> or is, does,
1: does Google have a different approach here?
2: <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Uh, well, uh, you will be pleasantly surprised, David. Uh, Google's plan uh, for cloud services is fundamentally different from the other two, right? And hmm. their official name for the service is Google Cloud Platform or GCP, and I have to tell you, I can never remember what that acronym stands for. I have to look it up every (laughs) single time, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, And they didn't roll it out until 2012. You know, this is a good six years after Amazon released AWS and two Mm -hmm. years after Microsoft released Azure. And now looking at all three of them, it's pretty clear to me that Google studied their um, two competitors and made some design changes. And the most obvious is how they placed zero trust as a cornerstone to the entire experience.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's interesting because in, in the previous two series, you, the, you, you made the, the uh, solid point that both AWS and Azure, they provide means to implement zero trust concepts. What makes uh,
2: GCP different? So, Google took uh, the design concept, this thing uh, called Software Design Perimeter or SDP. Uh, it came from the U.S. government way back in the early 2000s. You know, from the Defense Information Systems Agency or DISA for all places, right? Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then they built it. You know, and in our last hash table episode on AWS security, the chief security officer for Sally May, Jerry Archer, said he uses a third-party tool. To implement SDP for his AWS deployments. But in the Google Cloud Platform, SDP is how the system works out of the box, right? So we spend some time in this episode talking about what that means for our first principle approach to securing cloud environments.
1: All right, well, it is CSO Perspectives and it is part of Cyberwire Pro. You can find out all about that on our website, cyberwire.com. Rick Howard, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And it is my pleasure to welcome to the Cyberwire Josh Ray. He is the managing director and global lead of
0: Accenture's cyber defense business. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. Uh, Pleasure to be here. Looking forward to talking uh, about some really interesting topics today. Well, before we jump
1: in uh, with some of the the technical things, I'd like to uh, introduce you to our audience. Can you give us some notion, what is your day-to-day like? What are the types of things that
0: that you're doing for Accenture? Yeah, Dave, uh, within our cyber defense business, my team and I, uh, we really focus on looking at uh, threat activity, but really primarily looking at it in very... Um, highly customized ways. So, a lot of the things that we do are helping our clients on their on their darkest day, but also helping them prepare for the most uh, advanced uh, cyber adversaries that they're going to face. Um, and really, it's about us being able to provide our clients with a level of confidence to kind of chart that journey through uh, not just that worst day, but hopefully uh, improving uh, their overall security posture and capability when they come into contact with some of these advanced adversaries. Uh, so we do things like incident response and threat hunting, uh, cyber threat intelligence. We do a lot of um, intelligence driven red teaming and advanced adversary simulations. Uh, we also help our clients with application security, uh, as well as helping them transform their uh, threat operations capability to really, in many cases, make use of investments that they've made in technologies so they're able to properly operationalize it uh, within their environment.
1: Can you give us some insights on your own background? Um, what led you to this particular position?
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually, I've been very fortunate and blessed to kind of grow up within the mission. Um, started my career uh, in the Navy uh, and then went back to uh, school when I got out and found myself um, at uh, Naval Intelligence actually doing an internship and focused really right away on some uh, advanced nation state uh, adversaries. Uh, Went on to work, do some work within the DOD uh, and the defense industrial base, which we were very much kind of the tip of the spear um, and and focused on, you know, a lot of the same types of threats that most folks know today as as the APT. Uh, And then uh, from there, went on to uh, work for uh, VeriSign, where I helped uh, protect uh, .com, .net and was fortunate to run the eye defense business and then I uh, led that acquisition from Verisign into Accenture in 2017. So again, very, very focused on a uh, specific mission and, and really threat operations um, throughout my whole career and, and you know, c- couldn't find myself in a, in a better place now.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. You mentioned incident response, which I, I suppose is the you know the part of your business that you hope you hope for your customers they never have to engage with you on. <laughs> but uh, I mean, how much of that is is sort of dialing in ahead of time to to try to have all the the proper things in place for them to to try to put off that need for incident response as long as possible.
0: Yeah, breach readiness is a is a huge part of what we do for our clients, and it's really about. You know, actually taking not only the lessons learned from all of the incidents that we we help our clients kind of work through, um, but also taking kind of an offensive mindset. Uh, so having kind of that full offensive portfolio, whether it be pen testing or red team or doing things like an advanced adversary simulation, really helps our clients. You know, be able to anticipate and gain those breach learnings without actually having to experience uh, those types of breaches or the pain of that breach. Um, and then we can transform them and, and kind of tune their security programs and, and their threat operations programs to really kind of drive that kind of end-to-end uh, threat-focused approach. And again, core to that obviously is having the the ability to to know the threat um, at that tactical, operational, and strategic level through you know high-confidence threat intelligence.
1: Can you give us some insights as to how? organizations go about dialing in um, how much they uh, interact with a company like yours, like Accenture, how much they do in-house, and, and how they choose how
0: they're going to turn those knobs? That's a great question. And I think it really depends on the business I would say, requirements of each one of the individual clients. And it, and it varies, varies by industry as well, too. So we see some clients that really want to in-house as much as they can and they use us um, for some of the higher-end testing. Uh, and then there's other clients on the other end of the spectrum that really just want to focus primarily on running their business and, and leverage us to you know run much of their security operations uh, for them as well. Um, and then there's some in the middle that, you know, kind of take that hybrid approach, right, realizing what they can do or are able to do uh, internally, and then augment their capability with, with some of the things that we do within cyber defense.
1: All right. Well, Josh Ray, Managing Director and Global Lead of Accenture's Cyber Defense Business. Uh, great to have you on board. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave. That's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. So chunky, you'll be tempted to eat it with a fork. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker too. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast, where I contribute to a regular segment called Security. Ha. I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest security news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed, and check out the Recorded Future podcast, which I also host. The subject there is threat intelligence, and every week we talk to interesting people about timely cybersecurity topics. That's at recordedfuture.com/slash podcast. The Cyberwire Podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe. Where they're co building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Guru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Carrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.